You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode of the Down the Pub podcast. Our guest this week is the Whitecaps all-time appearance record holder where he won the Soccer Bowl. He played in the top division of English football for West Brom. He's a CONCACAF champion. He played at the 86 World Cup for Canada. He's also a member of the BC Sports Hall of Fame and the Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame. I could go on forever with the achievements he has in the game. Ladies and gentlemen, the landlord and staff of the Down the Pub podcast are honored to introduce Carl Valentine. Okay, so um, welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub podcast. We are joined by a Canadian icon this week, uh, Carl Valentine. Uh, welcome to the show, Carl. Thanks, guys. I've been called worse than that, but I'll take it. <laughs> I, I had to edit that a lot, to be honest. I did, there was some things I was going to call you. Uh, and uh, we're also joined by uh, Carlos again, our regular barfly. Welcome back to the show, Carlos. Well, thanks, Anthony, again. Another episode, and thank you, Carl, for agreeing to be a part of, the, of this podcast. So. We're happy to have you here in the pub. My pleasure. My pleasure. So um, the, the first question I have for you, Carl, is um, so you're obviously you're synonymous with uh, the, the Whitecaps. So what, what do you actually do in your capacity as a club ambassador? And is it you're a resident, residency coach as well? Well, yeah, I was uh, kind of re- retired. I, I went into coach the U16 boys help out. Um, I think it was going to be for four months it ended up for four years because oh, wow. uh, obviously I, I had a capacity an ambassador role with the club so I did both jobs which was uh, great but it got a little bit uh, taxing so I stopped coach about two years ago but yeah I've, I've had a great role as a club ambassador most of the uh, if not all my works in the community um, obviously do a lot with the fans which I'm very close to um, so um, yeah, it's been trying, obviously, in uh, these times because can't really get out in the community. But been doing some, you know, videos and uh, uh, hosting some of the players and chats with the uh, fans and uh, our youth academy and stuff. Uh, so um, yeah, still keeping busy. But uh, a lot of the work that I do is uh, just getting out there and building uh, the Whitecaps brand. So how how hard has it been? Um... Like obviously the franchise started two thousand and ten ish, I think. Um, so like, what, like, how hard has it been to like fight up against the likes of the Canucks and stuff like that? Because obviously Canada, as we know, is like a, a huge uh, hockey hockey country. Like, so um, what, what's it like trying to spread the word of football around in Vancouver? Yeah, so you know what, it's been uh, fantastic. Um, you know, obviously, I played for the Whitecaps in '79 when uh, it was at its height. We won a championship and. Um, it was going well, and then the league folded in '84, and then we had the '86ers um, that played, um, and that was kind of semi-pro, um, and uh, that kept the name alive. 
And uh, as you mentioned, we got the franchise 2010 at our first season, 2011. And uh, lo and behold, the first match, there was 21,000 people there all singing wow. and chanting like they've never left. And, um, and, and that was really a great start for us. And it was a great base. And, um, you know, I, I lived in a number of uh, uh, American cities because I played indoor. I played indoor in Cleveland and Baltimore and Kansas City, uh, Tacoma. And, you know, what you find in them cities is that they have lots of sports. And um, if they're all winning, they're all winning. <laughs> and uh, that's what I find with the, the – you know, obviously we play the same time of the year as the BC Lions and the, the CFL and the Canucks play in the winter, but I've never, but the different sets of fans, I mean, I, I, as you know, soccer with the, the singing and chanting and the TIFO and everything is uh, a different atmosphere than hockey. It's always going to be a hockey and football town, but we have a great following here. Yeah, it's definitely a sight to behold when you see them, the, the, the stands rocking. Um, I guess this is a question that you're probably sick of answering, but um, we're, we're lazy people here, so we just ask the same things over and over again. But um, so obviously, you can the, answer differently, though. No, I can't. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not that clever. So obviously, like the man in the moment uh, is, is Alfonso Davis. Um, so w what was the buzz around the club when he was coming through? Like, was it? Um, did you guys know he was going to come on and turn into this? He's a superstar now, right? So uh, did you guys know that this, like he was going to be able to? Um, to, to go as far as he has so far? Well, now that he's there, it's easy to say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to give the same answer, yes. Um, I think uh, we tried to get him to come when he was 14, mm -hmm. and that was a bit too much. He kind of came out and went back. And he even wasn't, it was a bit uh, iffy when he was coming out at U16, but um, we brought him out again. He met uh, Carl Robinson, who was the manager then, and we convinced him. Uh, to come and to be honest because I was coaching with the U16 boys at the time and he started out with us and I think the first 16 six games the first six games uh, we can't remember the goals but we could have scored you know 14, 15, 16 goals he assisted or scored in every one of them and he quickly moved on to the, uh, the U18, U19s and did the same thing there and uh, I remember speaking to Adam Day because he was a head coach, I was assistant coach, and we both agreed that, look, we just got to stay out of the kids' way. Um, obviously, you need some guidance, and, and, and he had still lots to learn, but he's just had natural ability. Uh, his enthusiasm for the game uh, was top-notch when he, he made his debut at 15, and when he was playing with the first team, because he'd gone through the U16s, the U19s, he went into our U23 that was playing in the, uh, the USL um, division at that time. And, uh, you know, he just did exceptionally well. And he quickly moved and started training with the first team. And uh, just a little story, quick story. Um, one day we wasn't there. He came because uh, the, the, the first team were training at UBC, which is not where our facilities were for the development centre at the time. Uh, so he shows up one day on his day off and asks, could he train? And uh, with the U18s, and they were like, well, they're not here. And he's like, well, can I train with U16s? Well, they're not here the day off. So he ended up training with the U14 boys. And unbeknownst to us, he never asked the head coach's permission. 
but he just loves to play. And I think that just typifies who he was. And that's why, you know, if you're asked a question, did you think he was going to be? Did I think he would get to this level this quick? No. But I always knew he was going to get to this level because his attitude to the game was just superb. I always likened him because I'm a United fan to kind of Wayne Rooney. And when Wayne, Wayne Rooney first came on the scene, the 15 or 16 scored that goal for Everton against Arsenal. Um, he still went out and played on the streets with his friends and that's how he played the game. And that's how Alfonso plays the game because he just has no fit. So, sorry, those, those kids are going to live off that story for the rest of their lives now. You know that the under-14 kids today, oh, yes. Alfonso Davis turned up. No, this is just like emphasizing what, what, uh, about Alfonso Davis. Uh, did he, I think he started in a different position, right? Yeah, he was a winger when he came yeah. here. And... Um, he could end up being uh, going back to a winger. I mean, it's just exceptional. He just needs to be on the field to play with, uh, I, th I think Bayern have just signed Sani, right, from mm -hmm. Man City. So that probably means he's not going to be starting on the left. But uh, he was originally a winger. But if you look at the game, the way it's played now, um, you, you look at in the Premier, I mean, I mean I, and I hate to say it, but you look at Liverpool that have uh, been so good and Man City, um, the wingers they have, have great uh, fullbacks yeah the fullbacks I mean, are just having another role now it's, it's exactly. modern football Pep, yeah Pep Guardiola spent 150 million on three fullbacks hmm. so that tells you a lot about the way the game is right now so even though Al Alfonso's gone from a winger to a left back mm -hmm. um, you look at the highlights and is is more in the opposition areas penalty box than he is in his own because he's always bombing forward and um, probably not the, the the best defender, and you see a lot of the highlights you've seen of him is mm -hmm. giving the forward ten yards and catching him up in his own penalty box <laughs> and uh, making up for that because uh, he's just got phenomenal speed. That's that's great. That 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 that's a a great way to analyze the the, the game. Um, and this and this is the question that I wanted to ask you. Like you are an ex player, Canadian legend, and a coach too. And then you became an ambassador for the White Cups. Um, does that ex-player inside of you, former coach, sometimes like as an ambassador, you just want to, you know, like say like, no, we, we should play the White Cups this way. Talk to the coaches. Like that inner coach comes out. How often and how do you manage it? As being an ambassador. Well, I guess you do if the team's not winning. <laughs> if yeah. the team's winning, you don't, uh, yeah. uh, you don't care. I mean, because uh, obviously it's a result-orientated business. Um, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I think you love to watch your team play. You know, I've been spoilt for a number of years, not the last four years, uh, five years, but I've been spoilt watching Man United play when uh, Ferguson mm -hmm. was there. Mm -hmm. And uh, not just them winning trophies, but the way they went about it. And Mm -hmm. Now that uh, Ollie's turned it around, I, I can enjoy the game again. So, yeah, I enjoy watching the Whitecaps play and you want to see him play in a certain style. And I think uh, Mark DeSantis that comes in is mm -hmm. uh, implementing a very exciting, uh, high-pressing, high-tempo game. And uh, the game, the last game we played before the, the pandemic in LA where we lost our home opener, very disappointing, didn't play well. And then we're going to LA, uh, Hernandez's first game and... Uh, we come out with a 1-0 win, but not just a 1-0 win. We actually played some good football and went uh, went out to attack them. So, yeah, you want to see your team 
win and you want to see him win well if, you, if it's possible. You guys have a great striker, though, Jordi Reyna. Not because I'm Peruvian, but Jordi Reyna is good. It's, he, he scored some goals like last season, so I feel like he, he, he could develop more. And uh, the Whitecaps have also like solid players. It just it, there, There's some elements that it's just missing there. This new coach, it's kind of like guiding that, just like finding the structures of the team. Uh, what, what's your take on, on, on the Whitecaps like for this upcoming MLS just started already yesterday, yep. you know, like... Yeah, it did, yeah. We have our first... We should have had our first game uh, mm -hmm. today, but uh, unfortunately, Dallas had uh, some problems and had to uh, leave the tournament. But, um, yeah, we've got uh, some exciting pieces. And um, Mark DeSantis, I, I followed him uh, when he was in Ottawa and uh, then he was just Swoop and, uh, and Kansas City and then San Francisco. And his, his team's always played the same way. I mean, he loves to press other teams. Um, Sarri at uh, Napoli and Pep Guardiola is two of his influencers. And he, he actually coached in Brazil. So uh, he loves a high-tempo, high-pressing sure. uh, uh, kind of game. But um, when he came in the first year, we was in a bit of turmoil. I think, you know, by the time he got in, we had players coming in two days before the game. Um, we never really got off to the start. We never really had the players that he needed for the system. But now he's had a great off-season. He's got in players that complement the way he wants to play. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a shame things have, have happened the way they happened. But that game in LA shown what this team was capable of and what type of team they were going to be. And it's going to be a high-pressing, uh, high-tempo team. What was the kind of buzz around the camp and stuff like that before they, the, the, the team headed off? Like, is there a lot of positivity? Like, do they think that they're going to do well? Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, I think uh, it was a very, very disappointing home opener. Um, you know, we were very excited because he had a full off season, a full preseason, and, uh, and, and the way they were playing in preseason was just really exciting. And then the first game, nobody knows what happened. We just didn't. We just weren't at the races. It's just uh, one of them things where you couldn't put your finger on it. It was uh, a great crowd. They were into it. And, you know, we just got, uh, we never got uh, started. And then we go into L.A. where Hernandez is having his, uh, his uh, home opener there. And um, we've never really done that well in L.A. And uh, we went out and we were a different team. We are the team that we've seen in preseason. Uh, we really took the game to him, really pressed. We actually got the goal and a couple of chances off our press and uh, come away with a 1-0 win. And uh, then, you know, we had our uh, whole home opener against the other L LA team coming up and then the pandemic hit. So, but uh, everyone was excited after that LA game because that was a team that we knew we had. And uh, we were looking forward to making up for the home opener in our next home game, but uh, we never got there. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate that um, Freddie Montero can't go, which is how big of a loss is that going to be to the team, do you think? Yeah, I mean, it is. Um, you know, there's a few players that's uh, not there for health, medical reasons, and, um, you know, that's unfortunate. But, uh, you know, he built – it's such a long, hard season in Major League Soccer. He's built a squad that uh, that has some depth. It certainly is an opportunity. Uh, some of the players, uh, again, only arrived late. And uh, one of the players from Serbia, 
um, didn't arrive. I think it was a couple of days before the pandemic. So um, we had a chance to get healthy. We had a chance to uh, work with some of the uh, new players that didn't get a lot of time to train. So um, anytime you lose uh, some of your key players, it's always going to be uh, a mess. But um, you know, like all the teams, um, they'll be chomping at the bit to get going and get ready. So just before I pass it over to Chris there, I, I just kind of have to ask you, so you're obviously from Manchester, as we can hear from your, your accent. You're playing for Oldham. How did you end up in Vancouver? Yeah, I was sold. Uh, manager came in, said, uh, we've sold you to the Vancouver Whitecaps. You've got to meet their representatives and get yourself a deal. And um, there's no Google or internet that time. So <laughs> I, knew, I knew of Canada, but I didn't know where Vancouver was. Never heard of it, to be honest. And, um, yeah, so you know, I don't, people ask me the question why I made that decision because I wasn't a world traveler at the time. I was only 20, um, didn't know anyone in Vancouver. Um, but uh, Tony Waiters must have done a good sell job on me uh, because, uh, yeah, I ended up uh, uh, moving there in 79 and um, it was a great decision in the end. So how did they how did they find out about you? Because obviously, as I said, like you're playing well, Tony Wade was uh, he was manager at Plymouth Argyle. I was playing for Oldham in the old second division at the time, and he was uh, manager at Plymouth Argyle. And we played against him, and he must have noticed me. And so when he got the job, I think I would have been seventy seven or seventy eight when he got the job in Vancouver. He thought uh, uh, it was the right time for me to move, and I think he'd come in. I think it was a hundred thousand pounds at the time. Wow. Uh, which was Oldham's biggest transfer fee uh, right just then. And, um, yeah, Oldham went for it, and uh, I ended up starting a new adventure. Wow. A hundred grand back in those days was like, that's, that's uh, I'm not saying like it's that long ago, but, but that's a lot of money. Well, like, it was. You're... 79. Yeah, that's a long time. It was, it, it, was, it, it was Cristiano salaries back in the day. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that, that's amazing. That Like, uh, I didn't realize that you, you went for that kind of money. That's 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 a lot of money for, um, an, uh, for a 20-year-old, yeah. And, and a North American, like, sports team, like, in, in football to, to pay that as well, right? Um, yeah, so, for sure. But, was it was it a lot of pressure only then when you got to, uh, to no not really because um, you know we had a lot of there was a lot of Brits on the team uh, Willie Johnson was a new player that came over uh, Trevor Weimart from Ipswich uh, Kevin Hector was there from from Derby County Ray Lewington uh, mid, young midfield he was a young one uh, with me Roger Kenyon John Craven Phil Parks uh, from Wolverhampton. There was a lot of uh, <clears throat> experience there, so I was just going there on the uh, on the bench, and then to be on the bench and just uh, you know get a few games here and there, and then uh, it was ten fifteen minutes into the first game, there was uh, an injury, uh, and uh, I ended up getting thrown on, and uh, played every game up until midway through the season. Then Alan Ball, uh, yes. World Cup winner with. Uh, yeah. Uh, England, he came midway through the season and uh, I was dropped because uh, he came in. I was dropped to find a place for him and I was out of the team for about two couple of games again. Then I got back in and uh, we ended up winning a championship that, that year in 79. So there was no pressure on me because I wasn't expected to start. But 
it was an unbelievable year and I ended up playing the majority of games. Can you, like, to be honest, like being dropped for Alan Ball is, isn't that bad, to be honest. No, no, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't complain. The, the quality of the NASL, you were playing kind of what they call a post-peak of the peak of it, but it was still fantastic soccer right up until I think it was 84. Was it the last year, the first? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 84, yeah. I mean, yeah, so, there was, uh, yeah. yeah, there was a lot, you know, I mean, there was a lot of money involved there. Like, there was a, a lot of uh, big owners that uh, – uh, NFL owners, uh, Lamar Hunt and DiBartello from San Francisco, uh, that got involved in soccer. So there was a lot of stars coming over. And yeah, there was some that was at near the end of the careers. But, you know, when you're talking about the end of careers there, they were only 29, 30. Uh, I think Johan Cruyff came over at 28. Um, George Best was 29, 30. Um, uh, but, you know, we had some fantastic teams. The New York Cosmos team, um, Chinaglia, I think, had to leave Italy, I think, for some some unknown reason. That wouldn't be gambling debts or whatever. But he was a prolific striker and probably would have played for Italy uh, many times if he, he hadn't gone back there. Carlos Alberto, World Cup winner with Brazil, was playing for uh, New York. Um, there was a lot of uh, uh, quality teams and quality players. Uh, that were playing in the league there and uh, a lot of different styles and uh, it was just fantastic but um, I think it grew too big too quick and uh, there was a lot of owners that really didn't know anything about the game and uh, probably there was a lot of people come in and mismanagement but the quality of the league there was very very high. I guess when you were playing in the league was there a moment where you were side by side with somebody or in a match with a player where you were just like a kid again or, or at the beginning of your career? Because like you said, guys like George Best, Johan Cruyff, they, they played in the league. So um, was there a moment where you were kind of like brought down to earth a little bit? Um, no, man. I mean, that, that season, uh, you know, I mean, I, it couldn't have gone any better for me, you know, winning a championship and uh, everything that went with it and playing the number of games uh, that I had. Um, yeah, there was many moments where, you know, you know, even players on my team, uh, Alan Ball, World Cup winner, Willie Johnson, uh, you know, a, a legend. There was a lot of uh, moments in, throughout that year where you're like, wow, this is really happening. Um, and probably my, you know, one of the biggest moments I had was uh, we beat uh, Los Angeles, who Cruyff was playing for in, in the quarterfinals. Uh, and... He, I think he got, he must have got most valuable player because when we got to, to the finals to play Tampa Bay, uh, he was there on the head table and we had to go up and shake the hands at the head table. And I went by and when I went to shake Johan Cruyff's hand, he took my hand and he says, you are a good player. And oh, I was wow. Like, yeah. Come oh, on, that's, oh, no. that's, that's the answer to the question, brother. That's, oh, that's yeah. amazing. That was, that was a moment, mate. You know, I mean, obviously winning the championship was somewhat special, but like to have someone like Johan Cruyff recognize you and, and, and uh, give you that compliment, it was uh, the ultimate. He hasn't washed his hands since. No. <laughs> well, I have to now, the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> the hand, the hand, blame the hand sanitizer. Blame True. the hand sanitizer. <laughs> uh, talk about that final. Yeah, it was uh, unbelievable. I mean, it, you can't say anything's anticlimactic because it's a final. 
I mean, we had an epic semi-final against New York in the semi-final. Uh, we beat them 2-0 at home. And um, uh, we sc- Carlos Alberto, who was World Cup winner with uh, Brazil, uh, when we're going off the field, he's arguing with the referee. And I think he was accused of spitting in the referee's face. And uh, we were going back to New York for the second leg. We won 2-0 at home. We went back to New York for the second leg and we thought, it's New York, it's their franchise team. They're not going to suspend him anyway. To be fair, the commissioner suspended him for that game. So we went into New York. Uh, We tied 2-2 in 90 minutes. It went into overtime. Uh, We There was no score. We went into a shootout and we lost. So it was one game apiece. We went back in the change room for 50 minutes and we come out, played another half hour uh, game. Um, I actually scored in that game. They hit the crossbar and come down and they give a goal. And then uh, the New York players had the linesman up against the wall. In, uh, it was in Giant Stadium. And uh, lo and behold, the referee and linesman changed their mind and disallowed the goal. Uh, and then it went to a shootout. And, and it, uh, just a little ironic story there, because in, Alan Ball told me, because he was in the centre circle. Can you do play that? Sorry, Carl, can you do an Alan Ball's voice? <laughs> no, no. My voice won't go that high. But, but Alan Ball, because another player that was playing for New York Cosmos was Franz Beckenbauer. Oh. And Alan Ball and Franz Beckenbauer were in the centre circle. If you remember England and West Germany when Jeff Hurst hit the crossbar and it yeah. came down and they gave a goal and that helped England win there. It's the only way I can get England and World Cup in the same sentence because you only won it once. <laughs> Uh, so, so that helped him. So how ironic, Alan Ball and Franz Beckenbauer were in the centre circle and Franz turned round to Alan Ball and says, you owe me this one. And of course he got, <laughs> he got disallowed and then we won, we won the game in, uh, in a shootout. I think the game lasts three, three and a half hours. And wow. uh, after we beat New York, we flew back to Vancouver and then we had to fly back to New York to play in the final. At Giant Stadium again, and of course, we had like three, four thousand fans there. But obviously, most of the fans were going for Tampa Bay because, you know, we beat the New York Cosmos in the semi-finals. So uh, the wow. final was still great, but the, that semi-final was was something else. It had everything. Explain that rule real quick to me. So, like, you guys played the first leg one day, the second leg the next day, and if it was yeah. one, you guys played another game completely. Yeah. No. What happened was uh, it was it was the you played home and away, but you had to win both games. So we won the first game 2-0. They won the second game in a shootout. Okay. So we had to play 50. We had to go in the change room for 50 minutes and then come out and play another half hour. Wow. We played another half hour. It was still tied, no score. Well, we won 1-0, but they didn't allow it. Yeah. And then we went into another shootout and we won the second shootout. Wow. In fact, their guy... There was the fifth taker, and he needed to tie to go, you know, like extra penalties, shootout. Yeah. We were up by a goal, and uh, he had to score to to keep it going. He went round Phil Parks, and he used to have a big clock by the goal. And as he's going to shoot, the clock goes to zero, and then he shoots. But you've got to shoot before the five seconds. And yeah, we I thought they were going to allow it, but again, they didn't. So we were that close to going... <laughs> Actually, we still could have won it, but, it, you know, that semi-final had everything. 
Wow. <laughs> um, who, who made these reels up? <laughs> and then yeah, this, 30, and the, 35 yards from goals, five seconds to score. That was uh, the shootout then. Didn't, didn't MLS have that at the start too? The penalties. You know, you know, I think they did, yes. They did, yeah. and maybe for a year or two, and then... Got I, think, I think I think it was eradicated from the world of football after oh, yeah. that. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, so I can tell that you were a visionary of the crossbar challenge because you see now like modern players are doing that crossbar challenge when they kick it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that was, that, that was a visionary move. <laughs> I know I've tried it many. I don't think I ever won one, so that was I didn't win that one either. So <laughs> was it shocking for you? You know, playing that kind of style coming from England like the inventors of football, pretty much. Was it that shocking for you, like adapting to those kind of rules? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a little bit, yeah, because he had the 35-yard the line, the offside, and um, he had a lot of, when I was playing for Oldham in the old uh, second division, it's all, you know, British players, British teams playing against each other. There wasn't really any foreigners playing there. Mm -hmm. And then you come to MLS and these players from all over the world. Um, remember Kabilis was uh, he played a season or two there um, there was it was just uh, phenomenal because you were just coming up against different styles uh, every game so it was a huge adjustment but um, uh, you know it was just a big adventure to me I was just 20 and everything was new new country new friends and uh, as I say it was just an unbelievable year I can imagine that and uh, in, in regards to that, and also, I meant to ask you, um, so you play in in U.S. for a while, and you have a lot of experience playing indoor football. You play for the Baltimore Blast, if I'm not mistaken, from 88 to 90, I think so. Um, I saw some videos on YouTube, and here in Halifax in Canada, pretty much, we had a lacrosse team, and it looks pretty much like a lacrosse pitch just with like uh, soccer nets, football nets. And how's that experience like playing that, 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 that kind of particular? It looks a lot of fun. It feels like yeah. you, you need to be like really skillful, like with your feet to, to kind of play that. It's kind of like a, like a bigger futsal with a pitch. Can you tell us your experience about playing that sport? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, there was no – after when the league folded in 84 – Mm -hmm. um, in America, there was no league, outdoor league, I think, till like 92, uh, really. So most of the, most of the uh, top players who were over there started to play indoor um, because there was a lot of money. Um, mm -hmm. All the top players were playing there. And um, uh, when, I, um, when, when I went back to win, because I went back, when the league folded, I went back and played for West Brom in the old first division. Mm -hmm. And there was a story because I told my agent, I said, look, Sam, I, I want to go back to England. I knew there was some, we played a, a one season indoor with the Whitecaps and I knew there was some interest. I said, I, I don't want to go there. I said, don't even call me. I said, I'm going back to England because uh, I want to go back and play in the first division because I hadn't played there before. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a couple of days before I was at my friend's house. It was a lawyer who was looking after me and, the news comes on and, and the sports was headed there. And I was like, well, that's unusual. And then there was a guy, Bernie Pascal, and he come on and he said, uh, um, Carl Valentine just turned down a million dollar contract to play for a new team, Las Vegas. And I was like, wow. what? 
And apparently, uh, uh, Alan Mayer was uh, was a goalkeeper coach, and uh, he'd offered, I think it was 250,000 a year for four years. Um, But I wouldn't have gone. I wouldn't have gone anyway. I mean, it was more money, obviously, than I was making in England, but it was a dream to go back and play in the first division. But that's how much money was involved in the indoor, and it was great. Um, it was, there were all hockey arenas, most of them, um, in Cleveland, when I played there, we were averaging, uh, 18,000 people a game. Uh, that's where the Cleveland Cavaliers played in the Richfield Coliseum. And, uh, it, you know, it was very geared to America because you had four quarters, you had timeouts, you could have commercials. It just have everything. There were easier um, rules to understand it was more goals it was more exciting than the outdoor game to mm-hmm. Americans so it was just a great fit and it was a lot of fun that's great and I'm going to show you something before I pass it to Anthony and I want you to tell me what do you think when I show you this what, like the first thing that comes to you into like you know in your memory what do you think about this <laughs> yeah Man, highlight, yeah. I mean, that was, uh, I mean, that was just, you know, going to, you know, I got my, that was, uh, I was very lucky. I got my citizenship just mm-hmm. before I left to go back and play for England or else I would never got back in Canada. Had no other skill. Yeah, yeah, I went back uh, 84 and then. I was wondering why you weren't with the national team until later. So this is filling out a huge. Yeah, I got my citizenship just mm-hmm. before I left to go back. Because I wanted to come back to Vancouver and raise a family. I didn't have any of the skills. I thought, you know, soccer's not going to come back here. So how am I going to get back in Canada? So luckily enough, I got my citizenship. Um, I made probably uh, one of the dumbest decisions just after that because um, I was asked to go and play for Canada um, in the Olympics. And uh, that was the year uh, the Olympics was in L.A., Mm-hmm. 84 they got to the semi they got to the quarterfinals and played Brazil and they lost on penalty kicks uh, I, 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 rem- no I remember it. I remember and, um, people tell me that story all the time about the 84 team how it kind yes. of set the table for you guys in 86 yeah yeah and they carried on playing and then uh, I didn't I didn't actually get the call until the last qualifying game in Honduras they had a couple of injuries to some strikers and they had to beat Honduras at home uh, or win or tie to get to the World Cup. And uh, I'd not been called in all the qualifying games. It was like 12, 13. And they called me in for that last game in uh, St. John's. And uh, I come in and luckily enough, I assisted on both goals. We won 2-1 and uh, we're off to Mexico for the World Cup. And uh, in regards to that one also, um, so you, you play in the 86 uh, with Canada. Um, you got uh, Canada got um, knocked out from the group stage. Um, so obviously, you you love Canada, but you still um, from England. So how hard was for you? You know, like you wanted to accomplish more stuff with Can with the Canadian national team. After that, you got to switch your chip inside here. Say like, no, I'm now I'm rooting for England since. Now Canada's out. Um, how was your take on on England? Like you know, because I think England got in that World Cup. England got knocked off by Maradona. Argentina. 
the hand of God, the infamous yeah. hand of God. What's your take on that one? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, uh, we, you know, we weren't expecting to get out of our group. We had uh, France, who was one of the favourites to win it. Uh, mm -hmm. Russia were up there as well as one of the outsiders, and then Hungary uh, mm -hmm. was also a good team. So, um, you know, we had France, and they could, you know, we ended up losing one nil. Um, yeah. uh, they scored with ten minutes to go, mm -hmm. and you know, deserved winning. They were obviously a better team than us, but. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, you know, we, we didn't get hammered. I think Hungary got beat 6-0 by Russia the first game. Yeah. We ended up losing 1-0, 2-0 and 2-0. So we didn't <laughs> score, but we can still talk about it because we didn't get on the end of a 7-8-9-0 uh, mm -hmm. game, which kind of sours it if that happens. So we're proud of that. And uh, yeah, you know, when I got home and the way England were playing, you know, they, they were as good as any team in that competition and um, Maradona's uh, I'm glad he scored that second goal the way he did um, because uh, the the hand of God was a heartbreaker but then he scored a, a worldly goal where he dribbled through the whole England team and scored um, yeah. but it was a bit of a heartbreaker because um, of course you know I don't know how the referee and linesman missed that mm -hmm. and it was kind of unfortunate it still doesn't mean that England would have beat Argentina. There was still a good team then, but it was uh, obviously disappointing to go out uh, to a goal uh, like that. Yeah. What was your experience? Because you faced the friends of Platini, Tigana, Rashito. Like, those are like French legends and all-time favorites, you know, that then you have the Zinedine Zidane after and, and, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, How was that experience for you? Because like that, that was a, such a solid French team back in the days in 86. Yeah, they, and they were deserving one of the favorites to win. It were probably unfortunate. I think lost to Germany 4-3 or something like that and a bit of controversy. But um, yeah, just being in the tunnel with them um, was, was just mind-blowing. Because you said, you know, you look across to these, like not just players that you watch but world-class players and you know could have been world cup winners that year um but you know you had to quickly kind of get your head around that because there was a fear that if you know we weren't up to the races i mean it it could have been a cricket score right it could mm -hmm. have been bad and the worst thing you want to do is say oh yeah i was in the world cup but you know we lost eight nil to france or whatever right yeah they were capable of doing that and i think we played after russia had just beat hungry for six nil And we're like, oh, jeez, you know. So <laughs> you had to quickly get your head around it and uh, make sure that we were doing everything to give them a game. And uh, I think to Platini's credit afterwards, uh, one of the reporters kind of disregarded, saying, oh, well, you know, kind of got the win and he turned around. He said, no, no, so Canada's a good team and we're, we're happy we got the win. And I thought that was <clears throat> very classy. And that's who they were, right? Did you, go, did you swap any kit? At, at the end of the match, like any any kind of like, not only with friends. I mean, could be Hungary or yeah, yeah. I've got a few jerseys. Yeah, nice. You're not you're not getting any Carlos. All right, stop trying to push there for, <laughs> for the jersey. <laughs> so so like obviously like it was the the first time that Canada and the, the last since Canada made it to the World Cup. What was the what was the atmosphere like back in Canada before you left? Like as you said, you got to play up in the, the beautiful. City of St. John's, Newfoundland, and uh, in front of 13,000 crazy Newfies. 
what was the buzz like in the in the country before you guys headed off? Yeah, I don't really know because I was in England. I was playing for West Brom <laughs> in the first division, so I didn't even know. And then I, I finally get the call for that last game because he had a few injuries. Obviously, I said yes. Um, I flew in a week before the game, and then I got some Montezuma's resent. So I was in bed for like three, four days. Wasn't sure if I was going to make the match. So I didn't really see a lot of what was going on. I knew there was a lot of buzz because, you know, this was one game to get into the World Cup. And, uh, you know, at that time, because it was in Mexico, uh, there was only one qualifying spot. So it was a big deal. And uh, thankfully, we were able to overcome Honduras and win that game 2-1. How, how crazy were the fans in uh, St. John's? Oh, they were unbelievable. I mean, you know, it was done on purpose. I think it made it even better because uh, some of the Honduran's fans didn't know there was two St. John's in Canada. <laughs> I, I read that earlier on. <laughs> yeah, a bunch, a bunch of them went I to the wrong one. It. So it made it, it a real Canadian it. crowd. And that, uh, that, that made a big difference for sure. Can you imagine like those poor Hondurans turn up in St. John, New Brunswick going, where the <laughs> fuck is the football stadium? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, they sent them Moncton. <laughs> so, so obviously like the Mexico is a, it's a high altitude city and all that kind of stuff. Like, so and you st- I think you did some training in Colorado maybe to yeah, climb the right. um, what, What's it like playing? Like, because obviously the World Cup in South Africa was pretty similar too. Uh, what, what's it like playing in that kind of atmosphere? Like, it, like is it, does it just take take everything out of you when you're trying to like breathe and stuff like that? Like what was it? What was yeah, that? it's tough. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt it's tough. I mean, you know, when we played in Mexico, obviously we played against France, Hungary, and Russia that you know had the same issues that we had. Uh, it was worse when we went to Mexico and played in Azteca because they played every game at like one o'clock in the afternoon, and <laughs> yeah, so it was like. You not only had the the altitude and stuff, you had to deal with the heat, and uh, and then play Mexico and Azteca. So I think I think the closest we got to them, I think they, I played two or three games. I think they were all like four nil Mexico and uh, not even close. Um, it, it's it's tough because you just run and your lungs just fill up and you can't breathe. I mean, obviously you get there, you do altitude training, but uh, um, you know you think. Well, maybe because we can train harder, we're fitter than them, but they were fit as well. So uh, it was a double whammy. So uh, it's one of the most iconic stadiums in in world football. Uh, what's it like playing? Like, what's the what's the like the atmosphere like? Especially when you're playing against Mexico. What what, what was that like? Yeah, it was tough. It was tough, uh, and it was tough for us because we were always up against it. And when you go into Mexico, you're in the bowels of the stadium, and I, I don't know if it was designed this way, but when you come out, there's a long corridor and you have to walk along this corridor. And when you walk and when you first go there, it's like, is it power lines? And it's like, there's no power down here. The lights, it was dull. It was like flipping gladiators. And you just hear this humming. Like, and then you walk. And then as you walk, these steps that go up. And as you get to the steps and go up, they opened up the doors. I mean, truly, was like the gladiators. You open up the doors, Jeez. and all this heat just hears you. And then you hear this. It goes from a buzz to a wow! This unbelievable roar. And then these little ants come out. And then you got hundred thousand plus in the stadium. You hit with this heat and altitude, and it's like. 
and that's before the game starts. So, oh my god! And 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 then you know you're playing. I mean, when we played there, well, when I played there with Canada, I mean, Mexico was unbeaten as Azteca as they were for a long, long time. It was just a, a stadium that was just even for the top teams in the world. They were, you know, Mexico were unbeatable there. You said that you got your citizenship and you agreed to come over. Like, so was there a reason why you decided not to go to the Olympics? Was it, do you think that you had a chance maybe to get, get the call from England because you were going to be playing in the first division? Yeah, if I'm being honest, I think that was in the back of my mind as well. You know, I mean, I wanted to get established in England. Uh, I had a couple of good years there in Vancouver and, you know, you never know, right? So I didn't want to, you know, screw anything up. So... Yeah, I mean, whether it was pie in the sky, whatever, you know, I mean, I was going back to play in the first division. I was going back to establish myself and uh, who knows what could have happened. But um, obviously I was very grateful and very happy when Canada did call me up the second time and I had a chance to, you know, after the Olympics to go play for them in a World Cup qualifying and uh, never looked back from that. I was very proud to go and represent Canada on the biggest stage and, uh, uh, able to hold our heads up high. So just to prove that you are like fully fledged Canadian, we want you to uh, sing the national anthem. <laughs> Which version? <laughs> the oh, French one. <laughs> exactly. Good one, good one. <laughs> so, yeah, so, in, this, in this climate, if I'm not politically correct and I get the wrong words, man, I get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Plead the fifth. <laughs> so just before I hand it back over to Chris there, like, so as you're saying to Carlos there um, about the England team, like, was there any kind of access to the guys when you were there or anything like that? Like, was there any kind of, like, were you, like, no, did you get, no, get tickets to the we, game? No, yeah. we were in uh, Irapuato. We were in the middle of nowhere training, you know, good facilities and stuff like that. But we did play England at Swangard Stadium just a couple of weeks before the tournament started. So I got to play against uh, uh, the England team. We lost 1-0 uh, that, that game. Yeah. That's not bad. So that was part of their preparation going to uh, the World Cup tournament. So you got to play against uh, like Lineker and yeah, those. wow. Yeah. So I, I was I'm a huge Gary Lineker. Like I, I'm a Tottenham fan. Unfortunately, uh, what what was he like to play against? Oh, he's a, he was class. He was just a finisher. I don't I can't remember if he was him that scored that day, um, but uh, yeah, he was just deadly around the in the penalty area. I mean, he was just a great finisher, and uh, and that was a good team. I mean, you. Yeah, we lost 1-0. They were better than us, there was no doubt. Um, but um, you just felt that uh, what they had there, because Bersley was, uh, who I, I played with Bersley when he was in Vancouver, and of course he's gone back there and he was at the height of his game. And they had a lot of good pieces and, uh, you know, they had a, a good chance. It was as good as most teams in the, that World Cup. And, uh, you know, they, they lost to a very good Argentina team. Yeah, you, you can say if you want to, like, go to hell, Diego Maradona. It's okay. We, yeah. we won't hold it against you. I uh, know. <laughs> far away there, Chris. <laughs> there's, there's no Diego Maradona fans here, I don't think. Carlos? <laughs> no. Okay, cool. So I don't think there's any Diego Maradona <laughs> fans here, so we're all good. We're all good. Um, uh, one of the things I didn't know about you, actually, before we – well, before Anthony told me that we were talking to you, was that you actually had an international goal. Kind of scope that out, brother. Like, how did you feel when you put it in the net? How did you celebrate? Talk about that goal. I can't remember. I think it was against South Korea, I think. Uh, yeah, I did I, score. No, I, it was, uh, I'm looking up. Hong Kong or China? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
I didn't. Uh, I didn't score that many goals. I didn't score. That's why they put me out on the wing. I was no. <laughs> I was no good in front of goals. So, um, uh, yeah. No. I mean, it was. Uh, you know, as, as I said in that uh, the game against Honduras, where I got uh, two assists for for the goals was was big highlights. But yeah, just to score a goal is uh, at that level and uh, international level is uh, it's just huge. And uh, you know, that was another one of those. Uh, big moments that you'll never forget, even though I did. <laughs> I was I was about to say that, but you cut me off, so that's perfect. I shouldn't forget. I it's a, you should only forget if you scored a bunch of goals, which you didn't. So I don't even know how I did. But I only got one. Oh god! Oh, that's a great story. Were you involved in the '89 qualification? Because I think back then it was tournament style, wasn't it? Yeah, we we lost. Uh, we we. It was after the Canadian Soccer League. So when the 86 was in the Canadian Soccer League, that was the closest we got. We had to play Mexico at home. and We had to beat them to get to the World Cup, which is no mean feat. We were 1-0 up. I think I was injured. I pulled my hamstring that game. But that's the closest that we got because if we beat Mexico, we would have gone to the World Cup. We didn't, but we got into the back door and we played Australia home and away. We won 2-1 at home. Uh, we were tied 1-1 uh, with about five minutes to go. They tied it up and we lost on penalty kicks to Australia. And if we would have beat them, we would have played Argentina two legs, Maradona. Wow. Yeah, I know. Uh, wow. <laughs> I know. And we were penalty kicks away. Five minutes away, they, uh, they tied it up on, on aggregate. First, he got penalty kicks, uh, yeah, and then we lost some penalty kicks. Else, we would have played Maradona in two legs. Wow! And Argentina. Jeez. So, like, I mean, it's been mentioned already that '86 was kind of our crown jewel in the world stage. But in 2000, we got a gold cup, and it, as far as I'm concerned, no offense, that is our crown jewel. Those yeah. guys pretty much pulled a rabbit oh. out of a hat that year. So as an alumni of the team, how did it feel watching those guys pull that off? Because I know as a young kid, I lost my mind. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I don't, uh, you know, people get frustrated because we've not qualified and we've not done this, we've not done that. But uh, it's such a big, big ask because, uh, you know, we we've, have made strides and we have got better. Um, but other countries are getting better, you know, and they have leagues. I mean, that's been the, the biggest di difference. If we've made strides and we've had good players come through and good teams, other countries uh, have had good teams. Panama, Panama come out of nowhere and had a, had a great, great run. And uh, Honduras have international players playing all over the world and, uh, and their own league. And, and that's what we're really up against all the time is that uh, even though you know, we have a young, exciting team that's coming, the other countries are not standing still and they have the advantage of having leagues. So for us to go and win a Gold Cup at, at, at that level of competition, the teams that we beat, um, man, you, you know, that team, uh, if you whatever you want to call it, overextended or whatever they did, um, they just did a, a wonderful job and a great achievement. Just, just going back to your, uh, your, your West Brom days, because like, mm -hmm. you played at the pinnacle of English football. I'm obviously from Ireland. What was it like playing for Johnny Giles? It was brilliant. He was a great coach, a player's coach. He loved for us to get on the ball. And, um, you know, when uh, we first come back, we was on a bit of a run. And I remember 
Liverpool's match of the day, we were going to play Arsenal. Uh, I think we were like third or fourth in the table and, you know, people started talking about us because, um, you know, we had Garth Crooks and Emre Verardi up front, two small players, but that's the way Johnny liked to play, get on the ball, get it down and play and we're a real exciting team. Uh, we had a match of the day and they were talking about us and we got stuffed at Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the shit, man? Um, but he was, a, he, yeah, he was a fantastic coach. I probably would have stayed there longer, but the next year, uh, Johnny was not one for the board and the chair people and uh, I remember one day just saying off yeah, I was walking back from training and he said oh I might not be here much longer so these uh, chairmen do me head in so they know nothing about the game and make decisions and sure enough uh, it was a week or two later he just quit so, wow that's crazy yeah and that's when I ended up going back to the States but, uh, but Giles he was a coach at West Brom but he also coached me in Vancouver for the last couple of seasons and then uh, he left there went back to West Brom and he was the one that brought me back to West Brom because he he carved out a very good career for himself in Ireland as a pundit him and another guy called Eamon Dunphy and yeah. they, they like there were so many like comedy sketches about the two of them just like two grumpy old men sitting there complaining about modern day football so yeah. <laughs> I can see why you'd have trouble with the, with the chairman and stuff like that um, so, so like what was it like playing in the the pinnacle of the of English football like, I mean, like you're playing against some amazing players like, like the, the Liverpool team was amazing back then and all that kind of stuff like how difficult was it compared to obviously you'd come from uh, Oldham and then you're, like Vancouver like what was that step up like for you? It was certainly a challenge and um you know, I I enjoyed every minute of it. I enjoyed the challenge. Um, you know, obviously Liverpool, I never got to play at uh, uh, Anfield because um, I, when I went over, I, I, I missed it. Then I was injured the next time. And then the time after that, uh, I was being sold. And just before we went there and I didn't get to, to play there, I did get to play Old Trafford um, against United. Um, lost that game um, but yeah played against some some great teams and uh, uh, played in all the stadiums that I watched and um, went to Highbury Old Highbury White Hart Lane you know stadiums are not there anymore so um, it was a fantastic experience and uh, it was great to play under a manager like Johnny Giles that did play good football and uh, it were great memories so when, when when Johnny left then was it, was it Nobby Styles who took over? Yeah, Nobby Styles. Yeah, he was over in Vancouver when Johnny was over here, so I already knew him. And yeah, he was uh, he was a great man, and uh, he was the one that just told me because uh, when Jalzy left, uh, it was a bit of a struggle, and uh, it was a year it went down, and he told me because I just got married. He said, "Look, Dad, you just got married." He said, "There's a lot of indoor teams coming in for you, and there's a lot of money out there." He said, "You should go." look after your family. He said, I don't know what's going to happen here. He said, we haven't got much in the budget. Going to get a big striker, play some long ball and try and get out the the situation. So um, that's why I left West Brom at the time because uh, Nobby, you know, and obviously I was good friends with him and and um, and Johnny and he was looking after me. He says, you know, you need to go make money for your family and uh, that's what you should do. So that's what I did. Wow, that's, a, that's like an incredible... The uh, like act to do for himself, not to even care about the team, just to yeah. do it for you, kind of thing. Uh, it kind of says yeah. a lot about the man himself. 
So like you seem to have been spending your time around a lot of um, World Cup winners from England. <laughs> well, there's not a lot of them. <laughs> Only one at once. <laughs> but like, so like, did they have any kind of, like? Kind of, did you get to see their their medals or anything like that? Like, uh, obviously, you said you played with Alan Ball as well there, so. No, I didn't actually. No, no, I didn't. Uh, I, did, I wish I would have asked him, but they were just great people. They were just great people to be um, to to be around, and um, you know, I'm very, very, very fortunate of you know just a career that I had. The people that I've met, not having any really serious injuries, and uh, having such fun memories. Uh, I've been uh, really so lucky. Uh, that's probably the, uh, if I was them, I'd, I'd be wearing the bloody thing around my neck the whole time. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I have a question um, in regards to going the, uh, back to Canada. What's your take on on the new breed of, of the Canadian football team, the national team? Um, yeah, I think it's I, I think it's exciting. They've got a lot of young, exciting players, and they've got a great team. But um, you know, there's always such a, a, a difficult. Um, challenge and you know I, I've always said the same thing you know I think that uh, in in Canada you know we have to come together when I say come together the uh, the MLS teams the the Canadian Soccer Association the the provincial associations everyone has to come together with a vision and a plan I, I just don't think that we've had that and and it's a huge problem they, they had the same problem in the states before Uh, the World Cup and Carlos Cruzeiro, um, I think it was before 2010, he written a document, it's called 2010, I still have it. And uh, he said, if you don't adhere to the first 10 pages of the document, said rip the rest up. And the first 10 pages was just about collaboration, about working together. And I think that's what we've not done well. I think that's what's held us back because we do have exciting players. We do have, a young team. Now we have a league and obviously this pandemic's kind of, you know, really put a span in the work and hopefully it can survive, you know, what's happening. Um, but we all need to come together and, and, and make it work because um, other countries will have young players, up and coming players and, and good teams. But what they have more than us is, is maybe not collaboration, but they have a league that uh, is viable. Um, we've got that now. We have to work hard to, to make sure that's around and uh, we have to work hard to make sure that we come together as a soccer world and, and really uh, help the, the national team get to the level that it's capable of doing. And, and that uh, progress, it's not reflecting right now, but we're starting by something. And I think that the Canadian Premier League is the first step kind of to cement the blueprints of what could potentially develop in the future of Canadian football. My question is more, uh, what's your take on the Canadian Premier League and you being from living in Vancouver and being associated with the Whitecaps, would you consider perhaps in a far away or in the near future being involved perhaps with Pacific FC or some sort of role in the Canadian Premier League? just to support Canadian football and let it grow a little bit? What's your take on it? Well, I think I was supported. I mean, I don't know as mm-hmm. an active member. I mean, it's passed me by. My days are gone, man. I've got the rocking chair now, so I'm uh, good with that. But no, this, <laughs> the, this league is, 
uh, is needed. Um, you can see from the first year the quality as the, year, the, the, the games went by, it got better and better. Young players being able to establish themselves and, and it takes time. As I said, the last time Canada got the closest to qualifying was, was a bunch of players from the Canadian Soccer League and we were one game away from qualifying and that's no coincidence. You need a strong league for our young players to develop and I think they've, they've had a great first year and it's such uh, a crying shame that uh, you know this thing has happened with the pandemic and uh, really slowed it down because uh, you know I was very excited by what I see. What's your take on the American game? They're leveling things out a little bit. They've got the MLS and then they've got the USL that kind of has things split up into different divisions. Do you think short term or long term it could be a multi-level system where you have promotion or relegation? Or do you think that that's a ship that's long sailed in the United States? Yeah, I, you know, I don't even know how to answer that because, um, and the only reason I say that is um, Nashville's just come in and they, I think they've paid close to 300 million for a franchise. Now, if it was this year, next year or whatever, and you were to relegate them, <laughs> you know, when you've paid that much money, how, how do they survive playing where? In USL? Uh, I don't know. And if a USL comes to the MLS and they've got a budget of a million and now the budget goes up to 10 million, how do they do that? So obviously, you know, there's a big push for relegation and promotion and, and you know, they have it everywhere around the world. So you would like to, you know, because the game is the same, but I just don't know financially how that would work. I don't even, I can't even get my head around how, you know, how that would work. You said you didn't know how to answer it, but I think that's almost the perfect answer to yeah. be completely yeah. honest with yeah, It's not really an answer because I don't have an answer, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'd look, yeah, I mean, I'd like to see it, but I just don't know how they, how they would work unless there's a big pot of money and it didn't matter if you played in the first or second division, but it does as far as salary and travel and, everything else that comes with it, right? How has your job changed and how have you dealt with it day to day? Well, just doing this. I mean, most of it, uh, I'm hosting um, Andy Rose and a bunch of uh, academy players that, uh, you know, we're doing virtual academies and uh, some academy work. So I can't get out in the community, you know, that much. Um, other, other, you know, unless there's good social distancing. I've done a couple of school visits on uh, Zoom and stuff. So, yeah, that's just the way it's moving forward because you can't, the only way to get out in the community, this is the only way to connect. So this has been most of my work, video. Yeah, so we, we kind of do like a few, um, like kind of quick for our questions just to finish off. <laughs> All right. um, so, Carlos, go ahead, man. I normally ask, what are your top three favorite players uh, nowadays? But... You had some experience like World Cup, like playing in England. So when you were a player, what were your top three favorite players, like your top three strikers or wingers? Uh, well, I, I first come to head when I was a fan, Bess Lord and Charlton. <laughs> Bobby Charlton, Dennis Law and George Bess were unbelievable there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> in the easy ones now, Ronaldo and Messi, right? I mean, yeah. you can't go, go <laughs> wrong with them because they're, they're just, I mean, to be in the same area as them, just fantastic. But uh, I love this Greenwood that's playing for United, 18 years, 18 years old, 
Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, you look at what Fonzie's done, you look at what this kid's done, he's 18, and yeah. he's scoring goals with fun, left foot, right foot. I think he's, he's I, I don't know if he scored most goals outside the box this year for United or the league or whatever, but the, get, the kid's a phenomenon. We've been arguing for the last like two weeks if United should bother to spend all that money on Jane Sancho because we have Mason Greenwood. Why would we fucking bother? Like, the kid is incredible. So the fact yeah. that you said that makes me so happy, man. Um, take yourself back to like, I don't know, Vancouver, Oldham, West Brom, even after that, the indoor style before a game, what's your meal? What's your song? And what's your, I guess, superstition? What's something that you always kind of made sure you did before every game? I used to always have a cup of tea, two sugars. (laughs) So I always have a pot. Well, it used to be not a cup. They'd get me a pot of tea or I'd buy a pot and then I'd have a pot of tea and then I'd have a couple of cups of tea uh, before a game. I actually had steak and eggs before games, which is probably not the best there because steak doesn't digest, but I guess we weren't as fit as uh, athletes are now. Back in the days, they used to drink pop. Yeah. In, in, in the matches, like you see the players drinking Coca-Cola and I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the original Red Bull was a pot of tea. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> So was, was there a song that got you hyped up? Anything of the sorts? Or were you in the um, at all? No, not, uh, not really, because I, I'm just trying to think what I'd be using. Was it a Walkman or a CD? <laughs> you know, they don't like get, the iPods now, get, right? Get so, a blaster on your shoulder. I don't, yeah, we didn't even have the boomboxes then, so there was, no, there was no real I don't think there was boomboxes when I was playing, so yeah, not a lot of music. True enough, true enough. United or City? Oh, I'm a United fan. My, man. My dad's so, from Jamaica. I've got four sisters. Uh, so I'm not sure how I picked United, but I'm glad I did. Been a tough four years, but I'm loving it now. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, four years. I, I, it's been a Four to five damn. years. Seven, I how long. It's been long. Fergie left, man. Yeah. It, it, I know, but yeah, like the, the beginning of Jose felt good. So I like how you said four or five years because it was a lot of fun the year we won the Europa League. But yeah. It's been hard. What's your take on next year? And I guess like with the, with the squad right now, next year. For who? United? Improvement-wise, like do you think they need? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, now I wasn't, I was indifferent before, but now it, it could be critical if they can keep Pogba. Yeah. Um, obviously with Fernandes, if Pogba goes with Fernandes in there, you get another midfielder there. But I just think now, you know, that, that goal, Fernandes and Pogba scored from the corner kick. I mean, that could be, you know, one of the best midfields. I love McTominay. I think he's going to get stronger and stronger. I know he's looking for a left-sided centre-back, supposedly. Uh, I love Williams. I love Shaw, the way he's playing. But this kid Williams is like dynamite. Um, You know, they've got everything there. I mean, you know, the, the unfortunate thing, or not unfortunate, the thing that people seem to forget because um, you talk about what type of players, what the need is. Like United are a young team. When you look at City and Liverpool, and you look at Manny, Sonny, and you know Firmino. There, they're all you know KG vets. And you look at City with Aguero, and I mean, look at Sterling four or five years ago. And you look at where Rashford, uh, Martial, and Greenwood and James are right now. Sterling four or five years ago was like, fuck, get him off the field. You know, what is he doing? Can't score. He's playing for England, can't score. Now, he can't miss. He's one of the most lethal finishers in the game. 
So United are young. And it might be, even if they add one or two, it might be another year or two before they get there. But they've, they've got all everything in place right now because they've got a plan. They've got a vision and a plan. Good, you know, they've built some through the academy. But what Solskjaer has had, look, we don't have that class of 92 here, but I'm going to bring in young players that are hungry to play for United. I'm going to build around them. Come out of retirement for one last game. You're going to take your slippers off and put your pipe away. Um, from the players that you've played with, who'd be on your five-a-side team? Players I've played with? Yep. Oh, for Alan Ball. I'd bring Gilesy out of retirement. <laughs> He'd be player coach because he was, uh, you know, I used to go watch him when he was at uh, Leeds. Um, probably Rudy Kroll at the back because uh, he had a season with him and uh, I remember him passing 60-yard balls to me on the wing from deep, say, don't move. Like, okay. Um, uh, have we got two more? Uh, you can include yourself if you want to. Okay, I'm putting myself in there just so I can run around and look like I'm, I'm do, doing something. And then, uh, well, it was kind of, it, it probably reached his peak, but I have to put George Best in there. Oh, my. He was still like 28, 29. He still scored that goal where he beat like six players in San Jose inside the box before he scored. Like, he was just phenomenal. Amar Cruyff, anyway. Oh, my God. Wow. Uh, so, um, Best five ever. Yeah. That's, yeah. I don't think anybody's ever going to beat that one, to be honest. No. <laughs> you never get the ball off him. <laughs> so, he was, uh, so um, how crazy was uh, Bruce Gobbler? Yeah, it was like, he was, was called the Jungle Man for a reason. I mean, uh, you know, we were called the odd, odd couple because when I came over to Vancouver, we were roommates. I, you know, I, I, didn't, I knew about South Africa and apartheid, but I didn't know he'd been in the army for two years killing blacks. You know, we just hit it off, but um, people didn't, you know, people were trying to get a story out of it in a respectful way. So they were kind of asking me, how are you and Bruce getting along? And I'm like, fine. And then some reporter thought, I'll, I'll use humor to uh, break the ice. He said, to you, he said to me, do you sleep with a knife under your pillow? Jesus I was like, <laughs> no. But, do you know the right, you, you know, know I mean, I, I, name? Yeah, I, I, um, but I, you know, I'd wake, wake up at three, four in the morning and be up watching TV and beans out the can. Because, you know, for two years of his life, he didn't know if, it, you know, the next day was going to be his last because he was in a war and he was a tracker. So, um, you know, I think he's, you know, he's just written a book about that and I've not read it because it's, you know, probably I will do, but it's pretty horrific because, uh, you know, nobody should be in a war and being shot at and killing people and stuff. So, uh, but he was, uh, he, you know, for the longest time, you know, he just lived, when, he, when I lived with him, he just lived it like it was his last day because that's how he'd lived for two years. I don't think people have realized the effect that that kind of stuff has on them, right? Um, oh, yeah. Was the, and my last question is, um, was Andrew Murphy the worst player you've ever coached? No, no. He was, uh, <laughs> was quite intelligent then, so I don't know what you've done to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh god. I, I think it's I think it's a water here, man, to be honest with you. Yeah, maybe, yeah. It's supposed to get wiser as you get older, so yeah. maybe you've got the first Benjamin Button. Yeah. <laughs> started started off smart. 
god. Oh on, man. On that amazing note, I can't wait for him to hear this. Uh, <laughs> uh, Carl, thank you so much for, for spending so much time with us. We really, really appreciate it. Um, it's been an honor and a privilege to, uh, to talk to somebody who's represented Canada at the World Cup. Um, stay safe, buddy, and let's hope that the Whitecaps do well in the tournament. Thank you to Carl for joining us this week, and thanks to Chris and Carlos for asking some great questions. You can check out our web store at redbubble.com and search for Down the Pub Podcast. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And until next time, cheers. You've been listening to the Down the Pub Podcast, recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.